and welcome back to season four episode 10 i am so honored honestly to have the pleasure to introduce and interview this amazing person that i've only met like this year but i felt i feel like i should have met them long time ago and shout out to shivani ramos for actually encouraging me to reach out to them and for me one of the things that stood out when i was getting to know her story is the fact that she they was someone who not only identified with multiple backgrounds and culture but she has so much to share and her story that she continues to say through her spoken word her films and other creative mediums is really impactful and I just I just want to get with the episode and I can't wait for you guys to listen to her story and as always thanks for supporting our podcast uh thanks for having me on your project uh slash podcast today chachi um my name is kiara gail uh kg uh for short castillo um Sometimes I'm professionally known as KG Cast, which is kind of like my initials and like my last name shortened. Um, my pronouns are they, he, she. Uh, I just turned 22 um, a couple weeks ago, and I am double majoring in cinema and Asian American studies at San Francisco State. And um, if I could describe myself as a Filipino dish, um, it would have to be probably sisig. Um I think um, the way I dress sometimes is like pretty crispy, um, pretty fly. And like with the history of like Sisig, like as we know, it came from um, the folks at the military men who would eat like the entire pig, but the only parts they wouldn't eat were like the hooves and like the head and the ears. So they would like throw those things out and like the Filipinos would take it and they made it into Sisig. And I feel like that kind of reflects like Uh, My journey of coming from being born on Guam to moving to Hawaii and being raised there until um, my like early teens and then coming to the mainland, um, going through this whole entire like cultural shock and like kind of like transformation and then um, finally settling here in San Francisco where um, I've been doing um, some amazing things with a lot of amazing Filipinos and Filipinx Americans here in the Bay Area, so Thanks again for having me on the show. No problem. And honestly, I love asking that question. What if you could describe <laughs> yourself in a Filipino dish? Because you never know what you get. And like the answers mm-hmm. that you just said about like you said how Sisig originated from the military and how Guam was a military base controlled. And then you moved mm-hmm. to Oahu and then same thing as a story of the Sisig. And then it kind of like reflects about like who you are. So like that's kind of like a great connection within your dish. Yeah, I I like thought more about it. First thing that I would start is how is your upbringing like, especially being born from Guam and moving from Hawaii? Um, how was your upbringing like within the Filipino culture? Well, I felt like I, I've grown up with a lot of you know, your typical uh, Filipino-American stereotypes. Um, my dad's in the military. Unfortunately, my mom's not a nurse, but um, she is a social worker. My Our grandma lived with us, um, my mom's mom. Um, so her and my mom were like usually the main um, matriarchal figures in um, our house. Um, but the final say was always my dad. And um, as the eldest daughter, I always felt like I had something to prove and that um, I need to take care of my family some way, somehow. I think another thing to bring up with being the eldest daughter, um, definitely my two younger sisters looked up to me in what I do and that put like also more pressure on me and my identity, especially realizing, I guess, maybe around like elementary school, middle school that I realized that I was a, a queer person. I just didn't know how to express that 
um, because of the fact that uh, my mom, uh, my parents um, really, and my family um, are very Catholic. Um, my dad is very conservative, very Republican. So a lot of my upbringing was kind of just me switching a lot of, um, a lot of code switching, a lot of wearing masks that, um, that weren't really me, that were some parts of me, but they were also, they also weren't, I guess, like lies. I just kind of had to bend my identity in order to, I guess, like fit the audience of who I was with, whether that be my, fa- my family, my friends, even still to this day, like I'm still code switching. I'm still swapping faces, um, stuff like that. That's why I feel like I kind of have like, um, I wouldn't say issues with my name, but um, I've transformed my name so many times um, the last like maybe four or five years where um, sometimes when people call me by Kiara I, or Kiara Gale, I'm kind of like taken aback sometimes because I'm like, oh, that's a that's my government name <laughs> or like that's a name that um, usually people I wouldn't say from my old life, but like from like when I was like younger would like call me. Have you uh, within that concept within our identity, since you said both of your parents are conservative, did you? ever came out to your parents uh yes i did actually i believe it was the year before i moved off oahu i had come out to my parents and it wasn't um i don't want to divulge too much but it it was very it was not on my terms um growing up i thought that my own terms was going to be like i guess older maybe around this time when i'm 22 maybe 23 um, when I'm financially stable, where there was no possibilities of, um, I guess, me still having to depend on my parents. That's when I was going to, you know, speak my truth and like tell them who, um, who's underneath like all these layers of their daughter. And yeah, I wasn't ready to come out to them when I had, when I was like, I think I was like 14, 15 years old, but I feel like in a way that event has really shaped my identity was kind of just like the catalyst of me learning about myself and having to, I don't want to say deal with myself, but I guess, I guess start to unpack um, who I was and like my identity and how I wanted to present myself to people. And what does it mean to be authentically myself? Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing that parts of yourself that I'm really respect you on that. And thank you for holding space. No problem. And I think parts of us like, really getting to know our own identity is also embracing um, the the messiness of who we are because that's really helps us better understand um, how we function in society. Definitely. And then to move forward on that question is, um, now as we spoke about your identity, we'll move into um, how you personally struggled with embracing your cultural identity. I'll try to make, uh, I guess, this anecdote kind of short. I know um, while I was growing up in Hawaii, I had struggled with my Filipino identity, I guess, since when I was in, I think a, a big memory that really stands out with me dealing with my identity was when um, I was in the second or third grade um, in elementary school. And um, we, I had come back from like third grade camp. And when I came back home, my grandma, um, she told me that I got a bit darker. And that's when I was more aware of the skin I wore. And I remember I remember get, getting soap. Uh, it might have been papaya soap or um, whatever that uh, other brand of whitening soap that has like the white face lady on it. I, I started like really like aggressively scrubbing my skin because I, I felt like I was... I kind of equated like being dark was being dirty and um, it's no like I'm not trying to like bag on my grandma for saying what she said but I think it just goes to show you how deep this intergenerational trauma and this colonial mentality has gone through the generations of our people and through our families right so um, I think that's like one moment um, in my past about my Filipino identity I don't think I said this in the beginning, but when I do reflect on my Filipino identity, I do think about the past, the present, and the future. And um, I kind of want to credit that to, um, I guess, the present, um, where I am today. Honestly, I would not have, 
I, I would not be in the position that I am today and to have the privilege of, of all this knowledge, right? If it weren't for my teachers, my professors at San Francisco State, the first and only college of ethnic studies. You know, before I came to San Francisco to this college, I did not know anything about being Filipino American. I don't know, I didn't know anything about this rich history. The only thing I kind of knew about was like, you know, in your U.S. history class about um, Philippine American War, and you only get that one or two paragraph like um, passage, and it's it's not a pretty story because that story is told by the victors. Yeah, I give a lot of credit to the teachers I've had and to the activists, also the activists that I've met while being in college, and you know they're doing they're doing the hard work, being out there in the community, being like face to face with the community. And I'm not trying to romanticize what they do. I'm just saying like I feel like now as Filipino Americans, it's really dawning on what's dawning right now are the issues that are happening in our community, but also back home to the Filipino people. And I feel like as Filipino Americans, we should be using our privilege to you know like give back to the communities that like we've learned like in these academic spaces, right? Um, so that kind of falls into, I guess, my self-perception of my Filipino identity in the future. Um, I kind of see um, my future as, um, you know, someday I wanna be a filmmaker. I'm not sure in what capacity that I'm gonna be, hopefully a director, who knows um, what the next, I guess, uh, year or two is going to look like with COVID-19, right? Um, But I hope to never stop telling stories of um, the seven generations behind me, but also, I guess, um, prophesize um, the stories that are going to happen seven generations after me. And I hope that the work that I do here and the work that we do here doesn't stop here, but continues like after, after we go. The work is never going to stop, but um, I do everything in my power to bring us closer, closer to the point where um, the next generation of Filipino Americans don't have to deal with the issues and problems that we're currently dealing with in this diaspora. And I think what really one thing that you brought up that really like resonated with me is how you said when you reflect, you really reflect on like the past, the present, and I think that's so crucial to do because I think when it comes to us reflecting on that it helps us understand really like where did we go from and really helps us understand how can we better the future and with now the generation that we are seeing we see so much improvement like there's a lot of people like are so um, on for activists in the social media and I feel like if we had this um, when we were gro- when I was growing up, it would have been better. But I guess we can say that history is actually healing because we're there's now spaces for many of us to just reflect on like what we need to reflect on. And I, th- I would also like to add, um, I like what you just just said about how um, history um, by learning this history basically like we as a community are healing and like decolonizing and all of that stuff but also like um I think it's also important to acknowledge that currently right now we are making history as Filipino Americans like I don't I I don't think like maybe like 15 20 years ago um when there was this like Filipino American like art and culture renaissance that was happening here in the Bay Area I I feel like like back then, like in Hawaii, like nobody was making projects like this, like what you're doing right now. This is history you're making in your own own way. And um, your I forgot what that word is, <laughs> um, but in your own way, you were we are all making um, Filipino American history. And I think that's also important to it's important for us to um, give ourselves that credit as well. Agreed on that. And as you said, as a someone who is rising to be a filmmaker, um, you have a, you have a vision that you're capture that you're about to capture and that vision will help mold what's to come especially helping document some of the things that we need we need to see and hear thank you thank you um yeah i i hope to make something that kind of um reflects my life but also um other folks's um lives 
I remember growing up um, as a kid in Hawaii, I never, um, I could never imagine the position I'm in right now, no less be, I guess, like fathom a career in film and Mm -hmm. also just to have this goal of being um, a storyteller and not just tell my story, but like all our stories, right? And I think maybe that's my next question for you is, especially growing up in Hawaii and coming to the Bay Area, do you think, have you ever had that exposure of Filipino identity in Hawaii as you did when you moved to San Francisco? I guess not in the magnitude that I have had here in SF. I feel like in the SF Bay Area, I feel like I've been more exposed to the academia of um Filipino-American culture and also like, I guess, um, yeah, mostly just the academia Mm -hmm. um, and also the community um, being involved with um, like a few like Filipino collegiate orgs and other nonprofit organizations and also my sorority, um, Kappa Psi Epsilon, uh, which is a Filipina interest uh, sorority um, based in uh, right now only in California, but Sorry, do you mind repeating uh, your question again? No worries. I think it's just, what age did you move from Hawaii to um, the Bay Area? Did that help? Yeah, that would help. Um, So I moved um, from Hawaii to, actually, um, I moved to Hawaii from Hawaii. I was like maybe 14, 15 years old, and I actually ended up in... um, Las Vegas. Uh, my sisters were dancers. Um, we were all dancers um, at one point um, for a Studio 808 dance project um, in Waipahu. And um, they had a competition there and we just went because, um, you know, got to support the fam. Um, but my dad kind of took, also took this opportunity for us to move to um, California because since he was a veteran, Um, of the military, we had benefits in California in order for me to go to a college of uh, public university of my choice up here. Um, So at first we ended up in Nevada and then we drove all the way to um, Southern California, all the way to San Diego. And then um, outside of San Diego is the city of Chula Vista. So that's where I ended up. I ended up going to school in Chula Vista for my last uh, two years. And honestly, it was a very I would say that those first two years of being in California were probably, I guess, the most like confusing and the most, um, I guess, I, w- I don't want to say traumatic, um, but I guess there it was very culture shocking. Um, just the way that people act, the way that people talk, the type of people that I would see at my school. Um, and just to bring more context um, into light, I know like back in Hawaii, like we all have our stereotypes of like certain high schools or whatever. Um, but um, for those who don't know, I originally went to Waipahu High School. Um, I was supposed to graduate with the class of 2016. Shout out uh, to those folks. Um, what's up? Uh, uh, but yeah, so like coming from like that environment of mostly Filipinos and Samoans and Tongans and Micronesians um, to uh, mostly um, Latinx folks and um, uh, honestly a good majority of Filipinos. Um, it was it was weird because um, these Filipinos weren't like the Filipinos from like back home. They were like um, very Americanized, very whitewashed. And those who who were into their culture or who were like, um, who participated in, I guess, the Filipino uh, dance club there, they weren't seen in a good light to those who were like those Americanized Filipinos or those whitewashed Filipinos. And I don't mean to bag on them because honestly, like I was like that at one point only to assimilate to the dominant culture of my high school because I want to fit in. I was I was a junior in high school. I had just turned maybe 15, 16 years old and I want to fit in. I had no friends. And I came in like and I was like, I don't know anybody. I don't know these people. All I want to do is go back home to my friends back in Hawaii. But um, I knew that I had to do this not just for my future, but for the future of my family, um, bigger, bigger picture wise. Mm -hmm. And I felt like my journey of leaving what, um, what was home to me kind of reflects the immigration story of, um, my father, 
Um, he and his father, my um, paternal grandfather, moved from the Philippines to Guam. So because my grandfather was working in the Navy to build ships there. And then um, my father um, was also the same age that I moved to the mainland, which is kind of like very parallel um, to our stories. And um, he got, he, right when he graduated from high school, he went, he went straight into the military. And we thought that at one point that that was going to be me. I was, I was literally um, probably like the perfect, like carbon copy of um, my dad um, when I was in high school. But then um, a lot of things changed for me. I think uh, one of the most iconic moments from high school that I can remember that really changed my perspective about opting out of um, trying to pursue the military was um, there was this alumni um, girl named um, Angelina Trinidad, and she um, she is known for making um, the Passion Planner. She's the CEO and creator of Passion Planner. Um, which is that planner that has been like all over the news the last, like, I want to say like maybe like four years now. Um, And I'd be seeing like hella Filipinos having them at school. And I'm just like, you know, I had like maybe the first or second round of like passion planners because she came to our school and she was a Panay who started her own business. And she started at UCLA originally as a, a nursing major. And then she switched to art and me and her, um, actually had the same art teacher at separate times um, while we were um, while I was going to that high school and this art teacher really inspired me to get into art and at the same time I was also um, finding that um, spoken word and poetry were really outlets for um, for my homesickness whether that be um, the Philippines or um, Hawaii. I was I was very homesick. I was very depressed, very sad that I had to leave my home and my friends and basically the life that I had made um, in Hawaii. And then um, <laughs> I think one yeah, thing I, I just learned from you is about um, I think the experience that you have went through from from moving, and then I think. Because we, we know that um, coming from Waipaho High School, there's a lot of stereotypes. And yes, definitely. There's a lot of stereotypes. And um, if you know, you know, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like that's, and when you were sharing your experience in high school in the Bay Area, like you, you can really feel the culture shock because for once in Waipaho, like people would kind of like make fun of you because how you know, like you speak a certain accent. Yeah, I did have, um, I did have my pigeon accent. I used to have it. Uh, I unfortunately don't have it anymore. Um, I'm very, very Californian, very like, dude, what's up? Like, how's it going? Whatever. Um, but uh, <laughs> I still, I of, co- I of course still do understand. I <laughs> Yeah, it was really hard to grow up without the support system that I had, and um, I use spoken word and um, I would make these like little short like YouTube videos and about like my life or like recording these pieces. And I would only post them like either like on Tumblr or like only share them exclusively like with my friends that I really trusted. And um, those friends are actually like one of my biggest like advocates and supporters during that time because I the time I had nowhere else to really go. I mean, I had my family, they were also dealing with the same type of um, culture shock. Um, Mostly my, um, like my smaller siblings, Um, not so much my parents. And if they were, they weren't revealing it as much as me. I think for them, it kind of shows like, you know, got to bite the bullet, got to do what you got to do in order to survive. Right. And I feel like that's something um, we Filipinos kind of have, which is um, this urge to resist and to, um, to just come out stronger and to continue the fight, right? Um, So uh, my senior year of high school, I told my dad, you know, I'm, I don't want to do this military thing anymore. Like, it's not me, even though I, um, I was like talking to recruiters, and I was um, 
basically ready to go into the Air Force. Um, I was like starting the process. I told my dad straight up, like, I don't want to do this. I want to go to college. Like my teachers really think that I have um, the potential to go to a university, whether that be like a UC or a CSU. They said that I have, I have the potential and I think we should do it. Um, so I applied to a lot of schools, um, a lot of schools, a lot of applications. Um, I, I only got into maybe like one third of the schools that I applied to. And the first school to hit me back up was San Francisco State University. And I was um, I was pretty shocked. It was honestly one of my like top picks because it was it was far away from my parents. <laughs> it was as a I think I was uh, 16, 17 years old. I was like, dang, I really want to get out, y'all. And like, that's not nothing to bag on my parents. Like literally they provided they still continue to provide um, for me in a lot of ways. Um, but I felt like I, as a, an American anyway, <laughs> or the American in me, I needed to um, explore who I was. And I, I felt like I needed to do that without the influence of my family. And um, with San Francisco being... Um, known as like the gay city and like rainbows and stuff like that. I was, I got, I was more sold on that idea, especially with it being one of the top public universities for film. So um, that's how I ended up here. It was kind of by accident. Um, And then one day when I was on campus and it was like my first few days at state, I was walking around and I see um, the, this huge group of Filipinos and they're like, they're all dressed in like windbreakers, like super fly with like Jordans and Nikes and stuff. And I was just like, yo, these people are hella dope. They're like, their fits are like dripping and stuff. Hella icy with like gold chains, stuff like that. And I was like, these people are super tight with each other. Like I want friends. Like I literally did not know anybody that was going to the school was like kind of starting fresh again, but like completely without like any of like my previous like ties from either San Diego or Hawaii. Um, So I was very involved with um, the Filipino organization at San Francisco State called PACE, the uh, Filipino American Collegiate Endeavor. Um, And they're one of, they're actually one of the oldest um, Filipino American Collegiate orgs um, in the nation. And um, they were also one of the organizations that helped um, orchestrate the um, Third World Liberation Front. And without that movement, we wouldn't have things like ethnic studies or Asian American studies um, in academia. Um, They were fighting for relevant education. And even the year before I came to SF State, um, folks were still fighting for relevant education because I believe the president at the time wanted to cut funding um, towards um, the College of Ethnic Studies. And it just goes to show you that, you know, history does be repeating itself. And like I said earlier, like the work is never done, right? Um, So when I I came here, I got really involved. I met some really good friends um, through my first year. Um, So good that like, I still have some of them in my life. And some of them I still live with in, in the house that I live in currently, um, which has been great. And then um, I, I finally found an audience and a stage um, to sh- really share my story and my spoken words and like um, my films. And I really felt like I've kind of found, um, I guess, I don't, I don't want to say my new home. I feel like uh, folks can have many homes, especially being um, Fil- Filipino-American. Our home is in the Philippines, but it could also be in the places we reside presently and the places that we see ourselves in the future, right? Um, and I think the so, concept yeah, home is definitely of where the heart home, is. I think the concept of home, there's different ways to interpret it because even... Mm-hmm those who are Filipino-Americans and who do visit the Philippines, they don't even feel home because it's so Mm -hmm. foreign to us. And sometimes we feel disconnected with what's going on in the motherland that they Mm -hmm. just not try to associate with us. Like 
they try to glamorize like what's like the American lifestyle, but at the same time, when we go back home, they're like, "What are you doing here? You don't deserve to be here. Like yeah. you're not, you're you're not from here. You're from there." But at yeah. the same time, it's kind of sure. ironic because <laughs> they're just, "Well, I want this and that, but you don't welcome me. So what else?" Yeah, I feel like as um, not even just Filipino Americans, I feel like Asian Americans also deal mm-hmm. um, with this issue of um, being ex- exclusive, um, of facing ex- exclusivity, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that being um, facing being exclusive in um, like an academic setting or um, in our history in America, um, Asian Exclusion Acts, um, Asian Exclusion Laws. Um, immigration laws that limited the quotas of um, Chinese, Filipinos, and Japanese Americans into um, into this country, Japanese American internment camps. Um, it's in our history of being excluded and of being seen as the forever foreigner, right? But even when we go to um, the places where our ethnic backgrounds are originated from, like we're still seen as foreigners. We're still seen as foreigners. And that's... Um, it's very challenging. And like, even with the whole issue with um, uh, <laughs> the discourse on, on um, Twitter uh, with uh, the use of X in Philippinex. Oh. Um, I remember, see, I remember um, before I came on here, I, I did, a, um, I was watching a few of your um, podcasts on YouTube. And I think I had clicked your most viewed video, I forgot what the title was, but one of the comments was like, why are you using the X? Like, oh. what what is this? Like, this is like some like um, neo, um, neo-colonialism type of stuff. And um, in, in my mind as a Filipinx American, I, I don't see it as, um, as that. It's more so for us here in America, in the diaspora who do experience this type of um, identity. See, because the argument is like, you know, since um, Filipino is already a gender neutral term, then that's that's what it is, Filipino. But for us here in the diaspora, it's Filipinex because um, the X signifies our gender identity for those who have um, experienced something with their gender in the diaspora. So. Mm-hmm. Content more, but I think going on topic is that mm-hmm. a lot of the people back home really have a hard time trying to see that because um, then again, they are still like living with that trauma that has been passed with them. So like anything that comes from the diaspora to the homeland, they, they're not really as accepting, which mm-hmm. is kind of disheartening because we try so much to advocate for them but when it comes to like terms like with labeling us it kind of doesn't kind of doesn't go at the same route yeah it's very uh um it's a very contradictory situation um there's no I feel like there's never really ever going to be like winners or losers (laughs) um but you know as long as uh you know, we're doing things to advocate for the Filipino, Filipinex, Filipina, Panay, Panoy, Panex in the world. Um, I think we're doing good on um, on everybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah. with that said, um, just to bring it up even more, what does it mean for you to reclaim our Filipino ex at identity? I think for me... Uh, Reclaiming uh, my Filipinx identity to me means, I guess I'll go back to the beginning of reclaiming my name, Um, whether that may be me being comfortable in um, certain spaces with my name or me um, kind of manifesting my name and my brand into my own, into something that is authentically me and I feel like also learning and educating ourselves about the past, what has happened to our people here and what is currently happening to our people there at home, whether that be um, here in San Francisco, in San Diego, on the East Coast, in Hawaii, or back home in the Philippines. 
Um, I feel like it's important to bring the issues that are happening to Filipino people to the forefront um, when we talk about um, reclaiming our Filipino identity. I think it's also important that, um, um, I think Bamboo also um, said this in one of his rap songs that, um, you know, you kind of want to do something beyond PCN, beyond like these like social clubs that we have on college campuses. Um, There's a bigger picture um, for our community out there and we should be part of um, that movement of helping folks back home and bridging um, folks here. And um, that was taking names. Yeah. Oh, it was taking names. was taking names. But yeah, and something that you mentioned in your document as well is when you think about um, the term is you think about a balik bayan box at the airport sitting yeah. next to a uh, luggage when you visit the Philippines. <laughs> And I feel like that's also another great interpretation, like what you mentioned from your mm-hmm. from your narrative. Yeah, I definitely want to give credit where credit is due to um, Dr. Um, Allison Tintianku Kubales and um, Dr. Don Mabalon. Um, rest in peace. Um, but Dr. Um, Tintianku Kubales is a professor. Um, I've had a very great supporter. Um, that I've had the last like three years and um, she's great I love the work that she's done for the community and I, um, I really look up to her but also Malang Don she was um, she was I, th- I believe she was the first Filipino American to have graduated from Stanford with a PhD in history and she's credited for um, really developing um, the timeline of um, uh, Filipino American history and um I think the teachings that um, that I've learned from them over the years has really um, influenced my identity and has really, they've really have taught me, them and also the community here, they've really taught me to really care for my identity and to also teach other folks, but to also continue telling our stories. And that's why I, one of the biggest reasons that I try to, um, tell stories as authentically as possible. And as a, as a job of being a story, storyteller is, it really comes from the heart. And we write, we write based on what, not only what we know, but we, what we don't know, because that's mm-hmm. where creative. And shout out to um, the creator for Arizal, because actually I got that quote from her. Moving forward, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Uh, in the next 10 years, um, hopefully I am out of this house in the next 10 years and that um, uh, somehow uh, life is back to normal like it was um, a few months ago. Um, I definitely think, though, that um, COVID has really, COVID and like the pandemic and like um, uh, this current um, administration has really affected what the next 10 years is going to look like. Um, but for me, I hope uh, I'm happy. I mean, currently I am happy, but I hope uh, that I am happy. I have a grip on my life and um, that I am continuing um, to make my um, my family proud, my family in the Philippines and my family um, back home in San Diego and um, my family here, my chosen family here. I'm continuing to make them proud I'm still advocating for the Filipino American community and I'm still working with the community. I also hope that um, by that time I am either, I've either released or I am currently working on a film about um, the Filipino American experience. I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but, um, you know, crossing my fingers that, you know, eventually, like, I'll, I'll know what story I, I really want to, I really want to tell. It's worth the wait. Anything is worth the wait. Mm-hmm. And I think when it goes from there is, I really wanted to kind of, kind of draw back because we because we, um you love reflecting on the past you love reflecting on the present so and it's i didn't ask you this on the doc but i feel like it would be great 
to add it in is if you could tell yourself something when you were 10, 12 years old, what would it be? Um, hmm, good, good question. I'm gonna have to think on that for a sec. <laughs> and this can tie in with the advice to the next generation. I guess a piece of advice I would, um, I wish I could, ooh. <laughs> I, uh, a piece of advice that I wish I could tell um, my 12 year old self and even um, the future generations of um, Filipino Americans after me is that uh, to be kind to yourself. I feel like um, with these last like four or five years of me learning about myself um, and about my history and like the process of decolonizing isn't just, you know, like learning about your history and stuff. It's also healing. It's also unpacking your trauma. And um, I feel like from the age of 12, even sometimes until now, like I, I forget to be kind to myself um, I forget that, you know, I'm I'm just human. I'm doing my best and doing all that I can. I can't do everything in the world. Um, you know, I can't make this world utopia for, um, um, for us. But, um, you know, I'm doing my best. And I, I wish I was more kinder to myself when I was younger. I kind of relate on that. I feel like when you, when you, tend, when you grow up, we kind of get this mindset of just being in a rush. And trying to just put so much pressure on us and we forget to give ourselves grace and we forget to really like take in like any everything that we're doing because it's for our community it's, it's for our couple it's for those it's for our legacy that will come and it's just that that advice itself is very there's no better way to just say just be kind to whatever you're going through because everything will be worth it in the end yeah um there's this book by jeff chang who's also um from hawaii but he teaches um asian american studies and he also writes books about um the intersections of asian asian american culture with hip-hop and he has this book and it's named after one of kendrick lamar's songs and i think it really kind of uh, reflects on um what you just said what you just said about how like basically like we're gonna be all right like we're gonna be fine like um we got this very amazing and diverse community of filipino filipino americans and filipinx americans from like all over the world and like we're, we're gonna be fine we're gonna be fine we're gonna be all right whether that be now or later we gonna be all right i trust i trust um i trust i trust I can just imagine, you know, like those dog memes where like everything is on fire and then all he says is everything is going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think of that too sometimes with me being like, like us being like college students and stuff yeah. like that. Like uh, everything's going to be fine. Like it's midterm season. Like it's, it's going to be fine. We're going to be cool. Um, but, you know, uh, I really like genuinely mean it. Like we're mm-hmm. going to be fine. <laughs> But with that said, um, we're moving into the personal plugins of the podcast. If you have anything you want to plug, um, especially um, any work that you're currently doing, and also uh, this is a perfect time for you to give a special shout out. Okay, uh, so uh, if you want to uh, follow, I'm not. I'm currently not working on any projects. Uh, I'm finishing up my. Last year of school, woo, let's go, Zoom University. Um, I'll just decide, <laughs> though. Uh, for uh, social media handles, you can find me on most so- social medias as uh, KGCast, K-G-C-A-S-T. I also have a film Instagram account where I usually post um, projects I'm doing or um, any reels I have. Uh, you can find that on KGF Castillo, K-G-F-C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O um, on Instagram as well as Vimeo. Um, and I would love to give a special thanks and shout outs, um, one to my family, um, second to uh um, my chosen family here in San Francisco called Famsalog. I love you guys. Um, I'd also like to give a um, huge shout out to um, my sorority, 
uh, Kappa Psi Epsilon uh, beta chapter at San Francisco State, and um, also to the uh, San Francisco State College of Ethnic Studies Asian American um, Studies Department, and to also the School of Cinema at SF State, and um, another special shout out to uh, uh, the Filipino American community here in the SF Bay area. Um, all these people have really um, grown with me and gone through it with me. And um, I wouldn't really have either a grip, a grip on myself or a grip on my identity if it weren't for these folks to help me really like understand and to also um, heal with. I know that said, I just want to say thank you so much for being here with us. And I think really a big emphasis is our environment really do shape us and really do help us um, heal within everything that we have gone through. And because part of who we are is the people that we meet. And, okay. and with that said, and because you did mention in the very beginning that you are a poet, would you like to end this podcast with your own personal piece? It would be an honor. <laughs> <laughs> I will mute myself so that you wouldn't hear my reaction. <laughs> no, you're cool. You're cool. Uh, thank you again, Chachi, for having me on your project. I really appreciate it. Uh, to be very vulnerable and very frank, I have not performed spoken word in over almost two years now. Um, yeah, it's been a long time, um, but this piece is called uh, A Memoir of an American Dog Eater. And um, before I, um, I kind of perform this piece, I kind of want to just go into the name of it, of it all um, and like why I made this. Um, I made this around a time when I was really, I guess, angry about the things that I was learning about what, um, you know, the Spanish, um, Japan and... Um, Americans have done um, to our people in the Philippines and to our um, to our people here in America. And um, for those who aren't familiar with um, Filipino American history, um, at, I believe it was the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. Um, they brought um, Luzon in, um, Indios um, from the Philippines into um, St. Louis into their fair, and basically they were presented like like a zoo, like wild animals. And these Americans made these Filipinos eat dog. And I remember growing up in Hawaii, um, I would kind of get made fun of from um, other folks, even even Filipinos for, um, you know, bringing this like box lunch of like a dobo and being asked like, is that dog? And like, sometimes I would be like, so uh, I guess uh, fed up that I would just be like, yeah, it's dog. Like, yeah, yeah, it is. So what? You know, kind of just want to um, toss that back at them. But um, I think it was around my freshman, sophomore year, I kind of uh, made this like moniker of myself of being like, yeah, I'm an American dog eater. So in a way, um, it it's not meant to be derogatory. It's more so of me kind of reclaiming that part of myself. And also, I'd like to apologize, but um, I am a native English speech speaker. <laughs> I so I'm sorry if I pronounce um, any of the Tagalog words that are in here like inaccurately. Um, Might be it's it's taken me a, a long time, but um, okay, uh, I'll I'll begin. Ang pangalang ko ay Caragel Fantone Castillo, mula sa Guam. My name is Caragiel Fantone Castillo from Guam. When I was born, Uncle Sam wrapped me up in an American flag to hold, serve, and protect for the rest of my life. I pledge allegiance to a flag on a continent I was never born on, on the same continent where white-hooded pigs shoot up unarmed POCs where they build walls instead of bridges, where they got ice breaking into homes and smashing door hinges, where Japanese internees were on their knees. Begging please, I am American. On the same continent 
where they brought brown savages to a world's fair. Put my ancestors behind bars of red and white disguised as stripes to point and stare. Exploitation in an exhibition fashion, they only ever cared about cashing in. We always cared about surviving it. My parents fighting for a seat on the table, wanting to have a plate on it. I'm gonna tell you my story because I think y'all could relate to it. My life wasn't always stable, but I'm here now and able. And to be here, I am grateful. I tried so hard to follow authority. I tried to be the model in my minority. In elementary school, Uncle Sam came back with bars of papaya soap, shoving, shoving the whitening bars into my mouth. Encouraged me to burn my melanin skin off, washing my body until my brown soul evaporated. Around my neck was the same flag. I promised to hold, serve, and protect. No longer feeling like a star-spangled banner, but feeling more like a star-strangled banner, I can't breathe. A nation of assimilation, this colonial mentality in my head, a parasite, got me looking up tight and white, feeling lost. No illumination in sight, blind to any representations, to any reflections of me. Cool aid drinking of the American dream. It seems little old 15 years young me had to pack up my dreams with everything that seemed. So I say goodbye to my friends and family in Hawaii. Hoping for better luck on the mainland, I say shoots bra. Maybe I'll finally be free. Slept in hotel lobbies and couches. Moved through I lost count houses. Was this the American dream I binge drank of? My name, my name is Caragel Fandone Castillo from a small island called Guam. But you mispronounced my name as the American dog eater. And then the American dream no longer tasted sweeter. Uncle Sam came back. Hey kid, I got leaders of your favorite shit. The American dream lean that can make you fit. You should get more of it so you could actually make it. And I drank and I drank until I couldn't feel it. Numb, using bleach to dilute the moreno parts of me. When I looked in the mirror, I could not see a Tagalog speaker, nor some dirty dog ear. Feeling more like a noose, the American flag felt heavy. Stars that suddenly turned into sharp knives, piercing my skin, preventing anybody from hearing me scream. Preventing anybody from hearing me scream, but all you could hear was, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I have that verse tattooed on my vocal cords instead of my mother tongue. But I'm not going to leave my people's stories unsung. You see, you see, my blood runs through generations of resilience and resistance. And I am in persistence for you to listen to me. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to my people, listen. I say fuck your system when I raise my fists up. People power and at this hour, I hope you cower because we're all on the streets. I pledge allegiance to the liberation of all oppressed peoples and to the Ohlone land we stand and to the native Hawaiian land that we stand on and to the shoulders of those who stood before us we stand one nation under solidarity indivisible fighting for liberty and justice for all thank you I actually listened to this the first time when you sent me and it never felt more powerful listening to it again Thank you for sharing this piece with us. And honestly, I felt like this is your coming of age story because it really does showcase a lot of growth. And um, can I ask, is this your very first piece? I know you mentioned. Uh, this is actually not my very first piece. Um, one of, I guess, one of my first pieces was actually, I wrote, I had written it for... Um, my I think it was my 11th grade English class it was when I had just moved here mm -hmm. and one of the assignments was to make a um a poem um 
with a, an outline that they had. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the format of I am, I feel, I see, something like that. Um, but my uh, professor, or my professor, my teacher at the time gave that as an assignment. And um, I went, I basically went ham on it. And um, I kind of even uh, changed um, the template itself to fit what I wanted to say. And then um, as extra credit, he was asking it, folks to present their poems. And I presented um, this poem in front of, um, all, of all these folks who, who either have never been to Hawaii or had no idea that um, this was the experience I was living through since um, the poem that I was writing, uh, that I wrote about, it was about um, the uh, the town I am, I'm from in Hawaii, which is Waipahu. So um, it was basically like my love letter to um, uh, the city that I was from. A lot of the first couple of poems I did um, after that point and up until I want to say my sophomore year of college, a lot of the other poems I did um, a lot of them didn't really have to do with a uh, Filipino American identity originally. It actually had to do with um, uh, <laughs> a lot of the relationships I had previously um, with uh, women. <laughs> um, so they were like all these like heartbreak pieces about like me dating these girls that like did me wrong or like I did wrong. Um, but it was a lot of like pieces like that of me to get like all this energy and like frustration out and to really just like, you know, put a chapter or end, end this, uh, this chapter of like a relationship and then move on to like the next person and for me to like heal <laughs> my heart. But yeah, <laughs> thank you for asking. No problem. Only because um, I think because I've just been getting into um, op open poems recently I used to but now I've just because I see so much um significance with just hearing people and then like there's so much emotion that just fills you up and you can just emit those and it really helps like under you understand like what they're going through and even like you can if they're angry like they show it through the echo poem definitely yeah that's what I um I was actually, I really got into poetry starting actually right before I left Hawaii. One of my um, my friends, who's actually also friends with um, the person who connected us, um, her name uh, is Geraldine Elon. I'm, I'm not sure if you know her. I know her. Oh, you know her. So yeah, me and her were really good friends. Uh, she actually exposed me to the spoken word community um, uh, in Hawaii. And like, that's how I kind of got into like, spoken word and like poetry she got me into it and I was like I I like telling stories that's like what I do best like um when I was in I think elementary school middle school I would make like these stop motion like lego like short videos um but then that somehow turned into me um doing poetry um but back when I was in Hawaii I never really uh I was never I didn't really have the courage that I I do now um, to really perform those pieces. So what I did before was um, I made a, a fake name of myself. So uh, my parents could not find uh, my poetry. because I was, It was like, you know, if your parents like found your diary type thing. And I was like, oh, hell no. Like, I do not want my parents to find this, like, these collection of poems about um, either girls that did me wrong or like me doing myself wrong or stuff like that. I didn't want them to see um, this side of me because I don't think they were ready to see um, see these parts of me. So I posted them on my personal Instagram that I didn't have like family on. And um, I had like this my fake name and then I had the date that I made the poem and then I put the poem and it was like, 12 font, um, Times New Roman, like centered. And it was like a white background and I would post it on Instagram and I post one almost every day and people were like really digging, like, um, I guess the words I was using and the stuff that I was saying about love, like, I mean, like any like high schooler, like at the time would be staying, um, but a lot of the stuff that I was talking about was love and like relationships and um, about what I wanted um, 
out of love, out of loving somebody, but really uh, I didn't even realize until um, maybe when I was in, I want to say last year, the year before that, that like um, love isn't even just about, um, I guess, loving another person or loving yourself. And I feel like that has also been a big part of um, my identity in the sense of like, you know, I could not love myself entirely unless I um, learned about my identity and really unpacked and understood what was going on with myself. And I'm honestly excited for what's to come in the next year, because I know that as you are rising, as you are continuing this journey um, of self-love, self-development, self-growth, um, let's can always continue to manifest that positive energy and help uplift one another, because that is what the biggest factor of our community is. Definitely. It's all, it's all love, guys. It's it all is. Love. It's, all, it's love. all love. Guys, girls, and non-binary pals, it is love. It is. That's why Adele is so powerful because it's through her heartbreak that got the most attention through her songs. It's love. Yeah. I don't know how I went from there. But... No, it's okay. But yeah, that's why she, her album, that one after, I think it was like her one of her first albums is still like on the top of like the billboard charts. It's because everybody can identify with, um, with love, whether it be like loving yourself, loving somebody, loving your friends, loving your, your family. Like, I think that's just a common like human conditional theme that we can all relate to. And like tying in with our Filipino family, like um, all they needed, if, if only they had the love that they had from their parents, their grandparents, we wouldn't be where we are now with all this yeah. trauma. Definitely. Like um, I've noticed uh, uh, with uh, Filipino uh, parents, especially um, those parents who've immigrated from the Philippines to bring us here. Um, I feel like sometimes as a, like when I was growing up, I never understood um, the ways that my parents loved me until I grew up and I, I left home and I started learning about um, their experience, whether it was like in a academic setting or me um, in interviewing them for um some project about their about our immigration story here in America and um I didn't really understand the ways they loved me until I became older and that that's when I realized that the sacrifices they made whether it be my dad choosing to go into the military or um my mom working from nine to five and being so tired and still having time to take care of us or my grandma deciding to um, come to America to help my mom raise me and my siblings. Like, I feel like I was very, I guess, ungrateful um, as like a young person until now and having also left my family in order to also take care of my family is something that I am starting to understand. And thank you for listening to our last narrative for season four. I am really grateful for all the stories and all the conversation that I've had gotten through this season. Um, from learning from Kailani to Dani to... I'm going to end up saying the entire list um, for this season, but... Anywho, um, thank you for always listening to our podcast. And in actuality, for this season four, it was really uh, having that conversation with with not only those who I've known, but I never really talked to in the aspect of our culture itself. And... <clears throat> 
I can't wait to share um, next month what season five will be about. And to kind of like close off, I am still looking for writers, uh, poets. Uh, we will be showcasing your masterpiece, your mediums on our Instagram. Our website is currently um, under construction. So, and if you have anything that you would like to share with us, uh, would it, whether it be an art piece, a blog, poetry narrative, feel free to email us. Um, our email is on the description on our podcast. And as always, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you for season five, which would be a great, even a grander content. So, shoot. Bye.